You're listening to the Grace Covenant East Lincoln audio podcast. I want you to take out your Bibles and turn to Haggai chapter 1. Haggai is in the Old Testament near the end. Uh, Last weekend, as we uh, stepped into the new year, we also stepped into uh, a new teaching series. And so for five weeks, we're going to be spending time uh, in the book of Haggai. For those who may not have been here last weekend, I want to take just a brief few moments to give you some insight into the book of Haggai. And the reason that I want to do that is I believe that in context, uh, it will help you as we walk through this series, uh, being able to understand the relevance of this Old Testament prophet uh, and, and that there is application for us today. So here are a few things that I want to tell you about Haggai. Haggai is one of 12 Old Testament minor prophets. There are five major prophets. There are 12 minor prophets. It was written in 520 BC, and it was written after the Jewish people had come back from uh, Babylon captivity. Um, it only consists of two chapters, and within those two chapters are four prophetic words. In other words, God spoke a word to Haggai, and Haggai's mission was to deliver those words to the people, and and he did. Uh, The immediate problem that we discover in the book of Haggai is that of the rebuilding of God's house, the rebuilding of the temple. Uh, But really, that just serves as a metaphor for uh, the broader principle of doing God's work in all of its forms. The theme that we would find all throughout the two chapters is uh, that God has spoken to Haggai, and Haggai is to go to the people and encourage them to uh, rebuild the temple, to finish the construction of the temple. And the thing that sets Haggai apart from any of the other Old Testament books is, listen to this, the people actually listened and responded. Um, Throughout the Old Testament, what we find is a cycle of the people, uh, the Jewish people, the children of Israel, drawing close to the Lord and then turning away and then coming back and then turning away. But the problem is they failed to listen. They failed to be obedient to God. But this time, as God speaks through Haggai, the people listen They respond and they move into action and they begin the reconstruction of the temple. Um, One of the things we talked about last week is oftentimes when we're reading through the Old Testament prophets, either major or minor, sometimes it's easy to get uh, lost or or confused. we read some things and they seem so bizarre, so abstract. Remember last week, one of the references I made is it says it referred to the people as you cows of Bashan on Mount Samaria. It's like, what am I supposed to do with that? Uh, or, or in Hosea where it said, go marry a promiscuous woman and have children. with What are we supposed to do with that? How does that apply to our lives today? And so, um, and, and can it, does it, the promiscuous woman part? No, don't do that. Um, but we looked at a passage of scripture and in uh, uh, the New Testament, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, which says all Scripture uh, is, is uh, God-breathed and is useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so from that, we recognize that passage, those two verses start with all Scripture, and then it goes to say, all scripture is all, it's God breathed. All scripture is useful. So that means that what we read in the prophets, what we read in the book of Haggai is useful and profitable for us today. 
Uh, the book of Haggai is actually a narrative with a, a corrective prophetic word. Now think about this. In reality, our lives are narratives. And maybe a better way to say that is our lives are uh, unfolding stories. And as we walk out the story of our life, continuing to walk that out, there are so many times, really daily, that we need a corrective word or we need a directive word. Uh, We need a prophetic word. And those words come from the word of God so that we can know how to live our lives fully uh, in the righteousness that God's called us to. Uh, The book of Haggai is an out loud message about priorities, and we're going to see that today. And so my hope is that uh, we would gain a much deeper understanding of the importance of priorities, uh, that it's so necessary to have our priorities in order to have right priorities, God priorities first in our lives. Because let's face it, it's very easy to wave a verbal flag and say, I got my life in order. I got my priorities straight, but at the end of the day, here's the deal. What we say and what we do is what really reveals our priorities. Not so much what we say, but what we do, how we live out our life. That's what reveals our our priorities. Um, Last week, we only looked at uh, uh, two verses in chapter 1, but it became very obvious right away that the, the, the Jews living in Jerusalem, uh, their priorities were messed up. Their priorities were um, definitely misaligned with God's priorities. And it's because of this misalignment that Haggai calls the Jewish people out on it. And he says, God's house is in ruins. And you have excused this by saying, right now, is not really a good time to go to work and build the temple. It just really doesn't seem like it's the right time. And it was nothing more than an excuse. They were a people who were full of excuses for not doing the work that God had called them to. Um, the first of these four prophetic messages began immediately in, in verse 1. And I, I said we looked at that last week, verses 1 and 2. Uh, so uh, today, what I want to do is pick up in verse 3 and see what else Haggai says has to say to the people. So I want you to follow along. And right now, I'm just going to read verses 3 and 4. And then we'll go back and read some more. Um, beginning in verse 3 of, of chapter 1. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? And and I'm going to stop right there. I want to talk about that a little bit. Um, I think for us to fully understand the accusation that Haggai is bringing against the Jewish people would mean that we really have to understand what is it he means when he's referring to to paneled houses. They were living in paneled houses. For many of us, if we've been around a while, when we think of paneled houses, we think of the rooms that had the wood paneling, kind of dark, you know. That's not what he's talking about. Uh, um, 
the irony of it is, so they, the, the Jewish people had come back from, from Babylon out of captivity and they moved back in Jerusalem. And the first thing they began to do was to build their own houses. And as they were building their houses, they put panels in their houses. And simply put, when he refers to paneled houses, he's just saying, you came back and you built some really nice houses. You built some luxurious homes. The irony of it is, is that panels, as we would see in the Old Testament, panels were really only used in the previous temple, the temple that Solomon built, or panels were used in palaces. But panels weren't usually uh, used in ordinary homes. And so they've come back from Babylon. They've begun to build their, uh, their houses. And the panels that God's house deserved have now been placed personally in, in their houses. Um, what were they thinking? I don't know. What, what were they thinking? Honestly, their, their thinking doesn't or at least shouldn't make sense. And I want to see if I can help us understand that a little better. I want, to, I want to work with an illustration. So just bear with me in this illustration. I want you to use your imagination for a few moments. And I want you to imagine that I have the ability to create. And I'm not talking about I can go out with some wood and build something, but that I have the ability to create something out of nothing. Disclaimer, I don't have that ability. But just imagine that I, I have the ability to be a creator. I can create something out of nothing. And then imagine with me that one day I decide, you know, I think that I want to create something. And you know what I'd like to create? I think that I want to create a little man. <laughs> this happened. Don't you carry a little man in your pocket? funny how this little man looks like Scooby-Doo, shaggy, and can be purchased at Walmart. So keep on with me in this illustration. Um, I, as a creator, had the ability to create uh, something out of nothing. Now, I want you to think about for just a moment the difference between the created being, the created thing, and me, the creator. Think about the difference. And, and, and it should be quite obvious. He's plastic. I'm not. Um, I'm big. He's little. I, I can hold the, this created thing in my hand, but the created thing cannot hold me in his hand. So do you get where I'm going with it? We're, we're different. There is a vast difference between us. Now, that was the setup. Um, and keep with me. Now I want you to think about the fact, first think about the fact that we have a creator. God created us and we are the created being. So I want you to think for just a moment. I want you to consider the difference between God the creator and us whom he created. There's a big difference, right? Somebody's phone's going off. There is a really big difference. We're different than the Creator. Um, to begin with, God, the Creator, is the only one who has the ability to create something from nothing. God has the ability to breathe life and something comes alive. We don't have that ability. God is all-knowing and we only know in part. God is... Um, uh, God is all-powerful, and, and we're limited 
in our ability. Can someone help Gene get his phone quiet? (laughs) And we're limited in our ability. Do you see where I'm going with this? We, we are, uh, we're different than the creator who created us. We're just, we're different. Now, hang in here with me. Basically, the Jews that had returned to Jerusalem had committed by their actions that they were going to do their own things. That's what we're seeing in Haggai. They had determined by their actions that they were going to do their own thing. It was a case of misguided, misaligned priorities, and it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense because why would the created say to the creator, I'm going to place myself first. I'm going to place my priorities above your priorities. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to build my own world. I'm going to build my own empire. And if when I'm finished, if I have some leftover time or energy or effort or resource or desire, I'll give you some of what I have left over. It really doesn't make sense that we would place our priorities as those who were created above the priorities of God who created us. It just doesn't make sense. By nature of our creation, by nature of the fact that we receive breath and life from the Creator, the only thing that really makes sense is that we would be willing as a people to say no to our own desires and priorities, that no, we will not put those first, and yes to God, and we ask God, what do you want? What are your priorities? What are your desires for me? Because God, that's what I want. I want to put those desires above my own. And by placing him first, we come to this realization that God really does care about us. God really cares about us. And when we place him first, when we begin to follow him to the fullest, we begin to live the most fulfilling life that we could ever begin to imagine. This is what makes sense. This is when our priorities are in order. And Haggai's message to the Jewish people in Jerusalem is your priorities are messed up. They are out of a line. So what is it that he says? What is it he says about their misaligned priorities? I want you to follow along as I read beginning in verse 5. I'm going to read 5 through 11. Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Does anybody ever feel like that? Yeah. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house which remains a ruin while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. 
I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces on people and livestock and all the labor of your hands. That is a very tough, corrective, prophetic word that comes from Haggai. Would you like to receive that kind of word? I wouldn't. But I suppose there are times in our life where we need that kind of word. Um, Haggai is calling them out. Basically, what he says, what we glean from those verses, is God is speaking through Haggai. He said, um, think about what you're doing. Consider your ways. You've been looking out for yourselves, but what's happened? He goes on to say, you thought, I know what I'll do. I'll forget God. I'll forget about building his house. I'm going to build my own house. I'm going to build my own empire. I'm going to plant my own crops. And I am going to yield an incredible harvest. But God says, what happened? What happened? When it came time to harvest, you really didn't have anything to harvest. After all your hard work. Uh, why? Because uh, I brought a drought. Uh, I blew it all away. You thought you were going to save up a lot of money and put it into your account. But in the end, it was like putting your money into a purse that has holes in it. Why? I blew it away. He calls him out. He says, you tried to do it your way. And at the same time, you expected all the stuff, all the blessings. Well, it doesn't work that way. So I blew it away. But he goes on to say, here's what you need to do. Your priorities are messed up. They're out of alignment. So you need to repent. So Repent, go up on that mountain, start chopping down trees, and come back and build my house. And then you will realize the blessings that I have. You'll begin to see the blessing again. I think far too often for us, um, we allow our priorities to become misaligned. We allow our priorities to get messed up. Uh, whether knowingly or unknowingly, our actions and our attitudes say, I'll create my own way. I know how to find fulfillment and I know how to find happiness. I'll pursue this or I'll pursue that. And when I get this or that, I'll be happy. I'll be filled. I'll have enough. But guess what? When we get it, it's never enough. It, it really is never enough. I remember um, when I was in college, uh, I was working and I was starting to earn money and I so badly wanted a little Toyota pickup truck. I just thought that will make my world if I can just have this truck. And so I began to save and I went with a friend one day to an auto auction and suddenly across the line, there it was, this little blue Toyota pickup. It looked like the light of God was shining down and I said, this is yours. And so I bought it. And you know what? I didn't feel any different. Well, maybe a little different because now I was burdened with a truck payment. An insurance payment. And I had to put gas in it. And people always want to borrow your truck when you have it. 
and the keep up. It, it, it did not, I, I am honestly telling you, I really thought it was going to bring some kind of happiness. And it did, I enjoyed it, but it didn't, it didn't change my life. You see, we can falsely convince ourselves uh, thinking that, that uh, we can find pleasure in things and stuff, but those things and stuff will never, ever deliver on their promise. So how is it that our priorities can get so messed up? Well, our priorities get messed up when our actions and our attitudes say, uh, God, um, I want all the blessings. I want all the stuff, but I also want to be in control. I, I want to be in control of, of, of my life. Um, I want to see if I can, can illustrate this a little bit, what, what, it, what it looks like in our life. Uh, you remember little man, right? Well, um, this is little man's car. Make sure he's on. This is little man's car. He's got a pretty cool car, doesn't he? This is the car that little man drives through life in. One day, uh, little man was driving through life in his little red bright car and someone told him the story of Jesus. And as he listened, he said, that sounds so cool to think that we could have someone like that. That's what I need. That's what I want. So what does little man do? He pops open the trunk. He says, Jesus, hop in. We'll go for a ride. I'll drive. You just stay back there secure. He closes up the trunk. And you might think it is unfathomable to think that anyone would kind of have, have that kind of attitude or mindset about God. But it happens all the time. So often we say we want a savior, but what we really want is a servant who will fix all of our problems. To know that Jesus is there and he can pop out of the trunk when a problem arises. And then we can put him back safely so he'll be there for the next problem. Far too often... We have this attitude, Jesus, hop in the trunk. I'll know you're there. When a problem arises, I'll pop the trunk open. You'll pop out. You'll fix it. You'll get back in. I'm so glad, Jesus, to know that you're there to fix my problems. And some people actually would uh, go a little further. Some people pop open the trunk. But there are other people who uh, they actually open up the passenger door. And they say, Jesus, climb on in the front seat. I'll drive. I'll take us on a ride. We'll go wherever I want to go. But is it going to be such a privilege, such a comfort to know that you're sitting right there by me so that when my journey uh, encounters a problem, I can just look over to you and say, Jesus, got a problem. Fix it. And you'll fix it. And I'll keep on driving. I'll Hold my hands on the steering wheel. I'll stay in control. And I want to tell you that that's not the way it's supposed to be. This is what Jesus wants. Jesus wants us to stop the car, to get out of the driver's seat, to hand him the keys, ask him to drive, and surrender to being a passenger 
trusting that where he takes me in this journey is the place that I need to go, that he has my best interest in mind. That's how it's supposed to be. That's what makes sense. That's when our priorities are in order. When we can come to this place, we suddenly realize, wow, life is really good. In fact, life is better with Jesus having control greater than I could have ever even begun to imagine. This is the only thing that makes sense. But there are times a person might choose to say, I don't buy into it. I'm not giving anybody else control of my life. I'm going to hold on to the steering wheel and I'm going to drive. That's the way it is. I will be in control. And you know what my response to that? Even if it's you in this room or someone out there, I would go, that kind of thinking is absolutely ridiculous. Again, why would the created being say to the creator who breathed life into us, why would we say, I'm going to do things my way? It's utterly ridiculous, and here's why. Even if you say, I'm holding on to the steering wheel, I'm going to keep control, I'll drive myself around, here's God's response. Well, you might think you're in control, and you might think you're driving, but let me tell you who really is. Whoops. Jesus doesn't do that. Do you get what I'm saying? God doesn't control us, but he is in control of the universe. God is the creator. He mapped out our days. He has the best plan for us. He knows what's best for us. And even though we might think we have control, ultimately God has control. And listen, this is the exact message that Haggai is speaking from God to the people. You've been trying to do it your own way. You've been worshiping yourself. Your, tri- your top priority is you. You said, I'll do my own thing. But God says, you want to do your own thing? Then you won't experience the blessed, fulfilled life that I have for you. Instead, everything will end in misery unless you get your priorities in order. You have to get your priorities in order. He's saying your priorities are messed up. You've been working so hard on self. Misery. Change your priorities. Listen, whether or not you and I want to um, give God control does not uh, remove the truth, the fact, the reality that God ultimately has control. And he wants us to surrender to him. See, the message that Haggai speaking to the Jews, the Jews had been released from captivity, but they found themselves in a place of crisis because their, their, their priorities were out of order. They were focused on 
their priorities and not God's. Uh, they, were, they thought they didn't have time to work on God's house. And because of all of this neglect, uh, they were experiencing drought in every area of their lives. And God's challenge to them was, think about what you're doing. Think about what you're doing. Give careful thought to your ways. Um, if, if we listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit reveals to us that our priorities are out of order, there are some things that are misaligned, then how do we reorder? How do we reorder our priorities? How, how do we do that? Well, I, I think it comes by recognizing that we were created to live in relationship with God, not because he's insecure, but because he loves us and he has the best for us. And it means recognizing that uh, we are commanded to put God first. And it means recognizing that we discover God's provision, the blessing when we put him first in our lives. And it's very interesting. Um, I want to read the last few verses, beginning in verse 12. It says, you remember the people responded They began to build the temple. It says, Then Zerubbabel, son of Shethiel, Joshua, son of Jezadok, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai because the Lord their God uh, had sent him and the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shethiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month. And because of that, they began to uh, live in the blessing of God. How does this apply to us? Well, we've said it's easy to get our own priorities messed up. Sometimes consciously, sometimes subconsciously. So my question to you today, to myself, is... Are your priorities in order? Wh- whose priorities are first? Yours? Your desires? Or have you said no to those? I surrender to those and I give God first place. And I'm asking God, what do you have for me? What do you want me to do? What do you want my de- your desires for me to be? And, and I'm going to live that way. I- I- I'm surrendering to you right now. Would you just close your eyes and take a moment for the Holy Spirit to be able to speak to you and just... Let it listen for him to tell you about any of your priorities you might have messed up that are not aligned with God's priorities. And as you hear, say, God, I'm sorry. And just as you're sitting there in your seats, I want you to listen as Pastor Aaron sings the verse of a very old hymn, All to Jesus I Surrender. Let this All be your prayer. to Jesus I surrender all to Him I freely give I will ever love and trust Him in his presence daily and I surrender all 
Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. Sing that again. And I surrender all. Oh, I surrender all. And all to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. Today, God, we say uh, we're sorry. We're sorry for when we placed ourselves above you, our desires above your desires. Today we repent and we ask that by the power of your spirit you help us reorder our lives and that our priorities would be aligned with your priorities. Work this in us, I pray today. We surrender we surrender right now. We, we, sur- we surrender all about us to you. We choose you. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, uh, let me just ask, maybe you've recognized that your priorities are completely out of order, misaligned with God, because you've never actually entered into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Um, maybe you've been a person who said, Jesus, pop in the trunk or sit in the passenger seat. Maybe you've never done even that. But what you do know is you're not living in relationship with, with him and there's something missing in your life. And if that's you, um, I would say to you today that by just confessing your belief in Jesus, the fact that he died for you so that you could have life, forgiveness of your sin, uh, your life starts all over by you just simply saying, Jesus, I want, I want you in my life. I want you to drive. I want you to be in control. So if you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you've never said yes to Jesus, uh, would you just simply lift up your hand and let your eye catch my eye? I just want to give that opportunity right now. Is there anyone? Anyone at all? Father, again, I thank you that you have brought together people who know you. But I also pray that we walk out of this place today knowing that we live in the power of the Holy Spirit and that we uh, are called to live life so that as we're out in our world every day, we would live our lives in such a way that people are drawn to us because we're different and they would ask us, why are you different? And we would then be bold and courageous to tell them about Jesus in our lives. And Father God, I also ask that you would uh, continue to send people to us in our weekend services who don't know you so that we can tell the gospel, share the gospel, uh, help them come into the relationship that they've been missing, a relationship with you, and then we can help them grow in their faith. We just ask this, Lord. And Lord, I pray for every person in this room. I pray blessings on them as they go today. I I pray that they have a prosperous week in every way. Uh, and that they experience you more and more and more. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.